You are listening to the Alive Youth Podcast. Alive Youth is the youth ministry of the church at Osage Hills in Osage Beach, Missouri. We invite you to connect with us on our website, aliveyouth.church, on Instagram, at HeyAliveYouth, and on Facebook, Alive Youth. In today's podcast, you'll be challenged to grow in your faith, and we hope you're encouraged, too. Now let's hear from our youth pastor, Jeron Humiston. We're going to take a look at a deeply profound, intellectually challenging, deeply moving piece of literature called The Ugly Duckling. Come on. Come on. You weren't ready for that, were you? Like, didn't know where I was going. So we're going to start off by reading just a little bit of this. But we're not just going to read it. We're going to have some fun with it. You guys ready to have some fun with it? No. We are going to have some fun with this. Come on. Come on. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. It was a warm summer's day. And the mama duck wriggled excitedly on her nest. She could hear a tapping noise. Tap. Tap. Tap, tap. And then, quick, 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 the mama duck, she called to the other ducks. Come over here. Something's about to happen. Oh, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. And then you know, one by one, them eggs hatched. You heard a cheep, a cheep, cheep, a cheep, 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 cheep. And out came the little duckies, but there was one egg. One egg that was bigger than all the other eggs. And when it decided to hatch, you heard the loudest, the grossest, the nastiest crack you ever did hear, and out popped this huge, gray, ugly duckling. Everybody say, oh. Say, oh, because out came this ugly duckling and all the other farm animals were like, what's wrong? He's so gray. He's so clumsy. He's so big. And they all looked at the ugly duck. But he felt sad. There's little tears with this ugly duck. He said, nobody wants me. Nobody wants me. So he swam away. He went looking to all the other animals. He waddled sadly across the meadow, leaving the farm and his family far behind him. And up he came. He came to the river where he saw some geese. They were diving for food and he asked them, have you seen any other ducks like me? And they said, no. No, no, you are the strangest duckling I ever did see. So then our ugly little duckling talked to more animals and again and again and again they said, no, but you sure are an ugly duckling. So he decided he was going to go and hide all by himself. The seasons passed. Fall came and the leaves turned gold. And one evening, I said one evening, as the sun was setting, the ugly 
Scrambly ducklings saw a flock of beautiful white birds and they were flying gracefully. I said gracefully across the sky. And he said, I wish I looked like them. And now they came around that warm spring. Sunshine arrived and the ugly duckling peered out of his hiding place. A graceful swan paddled on by. He was afraid though. He was afraid because he's been teased his whole life because he was just an ugly duckling. But when that swan saw him, she said, why are you hiding? I said, why are you hiding? Come and join the rest of us. You are not an ugly duck. You are a swan. And all God's people said, amen. I said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. And that is the story of the ugly duckling. So Gavin is very much a character. Uh, I love him. He, that is his personality. He's very over the top. Um, sometimes I feel very much like him. But uh, the reason that we played that clip, because one, nobody in this room could match the energy and the level of passion and excitement and ridiculous that, that Gavin brought. Um, but two is that story meant for toddlers, for kids, um, fits perfectly and beautifully um, in our series on identity, right? Like we all identify with that story. We all recognize that story and we all understand that story because we've all had, whether we want to admit it or not, we've all had ugly, ugly duckling moments in our life. Or maybe not moments, maybe you've had like one ginormous moment that just resonates in your mind over and over again. But, but we all relate, right? We all relate we're all trying to figure out our identity, who we are, who we are, what is our value, what does us existing on this earth mean? Why am I here? The question of the universe. Last week, we started this series looking at identity, but we never really defined identity, um, and not to be juvenile, but uh, if I were to ask you what identity is, what would you say? It's not a rhetorical question. Jaren. I would Okay. Or how, or who you okay, how you identified and who you are. Anybody else? Okay, identity is how you define yourself and how you see yourself based on what you say about you and what others say about you. That's, that's identity. You all have an identity. You all have an identity. You all have stickers and name tags of things you identify yourself as that either you've come up with or the world has placed on you. It's what identity is. Last week, we, we touched briefly, but I want to kind of dive in a little bit more about this idea of what you believe defines how you live your life, right? How you view yourself defines the things you do and the way that you live your life. So if you view yourself in a negative light, if you're constantly thinking negative things about yourself, then everything that you do, all the decisions you make, the sum total of who you are, centers around those bad decisions. 
If you think positively about yourself, if you're a go-getter, then everything you do is built around that identity and that viewpoint in your life. If I were to ask you, where do you go to find the best version of you? This is a rhetorical question. Just think about it. What would your answer be? This is one that I've struggled with a lot this week. Where would I go to, to, to define or to find the best version of Jerron? Some people say school because of academics or athletics, or that's because of where their friend group is. That's where they spend the majority of their time. Some people would say church, like here, or maybe a church that you go to on a regular basis. Some would say family, like there would be an unlimited kind of definition of how you would answer that but you'd all have an answer to that. But I would wonder if you think a little bit deeper and a little bit harder about where that comes from, why is that the place that you go? Why is that the place that is the best version of yourself? Um, My grandpa, uh, my dad's dad, uh, was a car guy. He was a car collector. And I never fully understood, I'm not a car guy. Um, if, if, If you ask me to open the hood of a car, that's about the extent of the knowledge that I have of a car, and you're lucky if I can even get the hood open because the new latches, you know, or anyways. Um, my grandpa was a car guy. Um, my grandpa had two cars. Um, he had a, a Corvette and an El Camino. Most of you don't have any idea. It was a weird-looking car that had, like, a truck. But anyways, um, beautiful, beautiful cars. But I figured out there was something very weird about my grandpa's car collection. My grandpa never drove those cars. They had their own garage. He would load them in the back of a trailer and hook that trailer up to a truck and drive off to Timbuktu and who knows where, open the back of the trailer, put the car in neutral, push it out of the trailer, roll it up onto a rubber square pad so the grass didn't get on the tires, open up the doors and the hood and the trunk, and then just sit there for hours and let who knows come and look at the car and wow and salivate over the car. I never got that. I never understood that. But there are two kinds of people in the world. There are car people and not car people in the world. And if you asked those two groups of people, they would both have varying degrees of the exact same answer. What is the purpose and the value of that car? Because for my grandfather as a car collector and someone who wanted to show off the car, the worst thing that you could do is put it on the road and let the oil and the dirt and the grime and the rocks from the road and other cars get on that beautiful, spotless, psychotically expensive car. Because if that happened, the value of the car decreased exponentially. Now you ask the group of non-car people, what in the world, that, why that car has that kind of value, they would say it actually has less value because you're not doing its intended purpose, which was tires and wheels, a motor and a cage and really cool looks to be out on the road, to be driven. And because he was not driving that on the road, for all other people driving by them to gawk over and look at, that the value of those cars decreased. Exact same answer, Two completely different ways about getting to those answers, and both of them are right. Take it a step further. Mark Zuckerberg, the creator of Facebook, created Facebook when he was 19 in his college dorm. If you roll back the time a little bit to when he was in middle school, while all of his friends were playing video games and hanging out with their friends, Mark found himself locked in his bedroom learning how to code and writing games. 
So it was by no accident, it wasn't a flop that he created Facebook at 19 in his college dorm. After Facebook kind of launched and it started taking off, um, Mark was offered anywhere between 10 million and one billion dollars. Yeah, billion with a B. And he turned it down every single time. And somebody interviewed him and said, why would you turn that kind of money? You'd never have to work another day in your life. And Mark said, because Facebook is my baby. It is my brainchild. I am the creator of Facebook and no one else can do with Facebook what I want it to do. I as the creator know where I want it to go. I know the value of that creation. Facebook now as of uh, third quarter, so the beginning of the year, kind of end of February, March when Corona hit, Facebook had 2.45 billion users across the globe. They had one, more than 1 billion active daily users on Facebook. Facebook's market cap right now is worth $500 billion. If Mark would have sold out the company, even at a billion dollars, that's, that's $499 billion less, sorry, less than what he was offered. Why? It was his baby, it was his brainchild. As the creator, he knew the value of that thing and he didn't want to cheapen it. He didn't want to value it less than what he knew it was worth. Students tonight, you have a creator that values you more than you will ever fully understand or know. You have a creator that designed you and knows your value knows your place in the world, knows your identity and why he created you because he didn't create you by accident. The things that happen in the world are not accidental. You have a creator that knows how much you're worth and he'll never sell you or cheapen you for anything less than what your value is. And there's not enough zeros that you could put on your value to ever equal the value that God places on you. He's not going to sell you short and he's not going to sell you out. So where do you go to find your identity? You go to the creator who created you, who knows you better than you know yourself, as weird as that sounds. There's a story in the Bible about a guy named David, and it's found in 1 Samuel. Um, We're not going to read all of it. I'm going to try to kind of cover a synopsis of his story, but you should go read um, as much about David as you can. I love the story of David because David, to me personally, is the most relatable character in the Bible. A lot of times we view these characters in the Bible almost as like biblical superheroes. Like whatever they did, I could never be like that or I could never achieve that. And David's story is wedged perfectly in the middle of all these great leaders and great stories about great men and women of faith. And then David comes along and his story is like this roller coaster ride of I'm good with God, I'm sick of God. I'm good with God, I'm not good with God. And it's just this ebb and flow roller coaster ride of David's life. And it starts out really young. David is is the youngest of seven. So he has six older brothers in front of him. And when he's a a young boy, um, a prophet comes to his father, Jesse, and says, 
Listen, the next king of the country is going to come from your lineage. So from the line of Jesse, the next king of the country is going to come. And Jesse's sons are all out working the field and doing their jobs. And so Jesse sends to have his sons, all six of them, excluding David, brought into the house and set before the prophet. And the prophet looks them over and interacts with them and says, you have another one. Where's the other one? Go get the other one. That's the one that I want. David's own father, David's own father didn't see his value. He didn't think that he was cut out to be a king, to be a leader. Some of you, your identity is wrapped up in your family. Maybe it's not a dad, maybe it's a mom, maybe it's the identity of the perfect family because you've never had that. Maybe it's the hopes and dreams of of a better family than what you've ever had but you worship this idea and this identity that's tied up and wrapped around the family unit. And I'm not saying family is bad. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. But your identity is not found in your family. David's dad betrayed him by not giving him the chance that the rest of his brothers got by making an assumption and leaving him out in the fields to be a shepherd boy as if he wasn't good enough. The story goes on, not to ruin it, that David is anointed the next king of the country. And shortly after that, still very shortly, because David's still a young boy, his country goes off to war. David still being a young boy, still being a servant boy for his father, his brothers and the men of the country go into battle. And it's the great story of David and Goliath. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this 500 million times. So here's 500 million and one. But if you haven't heard the story, two armies lined up facing each other, this huge gigantic guy in the middle, just calling out this army for not going to battle with them. Send your greatest, strongest man. I'm going to defeat him. I'm going to destroy him. I mean, he's just berating him, just making fun of this whole group. No one will come out and fight Goliath. David shows up on the scene as the snot-nosed little tiny shepherd boy, and immediately all of the men who have gone to war begin placing titles and identities and value onto David. Why are you here? This is, this is for real men. You're not a real man. This is real man's work. Go back to the field. Get out of here. You have no business here. And little tiny shepherd boy David sees the army, sees Goliath, sees all the cowardly men that are supposed to be men going to battle, and says, I got this. So he walks out, he faces Goliath, and Goliath lets him have it. Who do you think I am that you send me this this tiny little shrimp of, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill your whole army. David picks up a sling and a stone, and he throws the stone, and he kills Goliath. And maybe this is the man part inside of me, maybe this is the like, whatever, but to add insult to injury, as if killing their their big manly, um, their, their big strong man, as if that wasn't enough, David goes and takes his sword and he cuts off his head. Very gladiator type, like, as if like me killing your giant wasn't enough, let me just once and for all, let me show you who I am and what I'm about. 
But let's be very clear. David didn't walk out on that battlefield because he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. You won't find that in the Bible. I'm pretty sure it doesn't translate in Greek or Hebrew, but that's John's interpretation. He didn't walk out there and like, I got this. I'm the star athlete. I got straight A's. I got a perfect family. I got the best boyfriend or girlfriend. I am the coolest. Watch this. No, he walks out on the battlefield because he know, he knows not just in his head, but in his heart and with his entire being. He knows who his creator is. He knows where his identity comes from. And when he knows where his identity comes from, because he knows whose he is, then he walks onto the battlefield as a man who can do more through the grace and the power of Jesus because God is on his side than he could as an arrogant, snot-nosed little shepherd boy trying to make some impression on some people. And this is the part of the story where we're like, cool, David's gonna be another Abraham. David's gonna be another great character in the Bible whose life seems to go perfect. And what you begin to see is from this moment on, David's life just is this up and down and up and down. Shortly after the story, David is, is seen running, running away like a coward because he's got a bounty on his head. And there's story after story of God using David to do magnificent, amazing things in his name. And then there are times when David buys into the world's defining factors. And in those moments, that's where David hits that valley in, the light, in his life where things aren't going so great, where he's, he's not on good terms with God. You, maybe, maybe you're the type of person that's like, I want to read my Bible more, but I, I don't know where to start. I don't know the complexities of what to do. Open your Bible to Psalms. Because Psalms is this beautiful poetry that is written in this ebb and flow of this relationship that David has and is penning. And in one moment, you see celebration and joy. You see a party. You see David on good terms with the Lord. And in the next, you see David depressed and angry and crying out to God. When he knows whose he is, when he, when he knows and finds his value from his creator... He's here. And when he buys into the lies of the world and he's not on good terms and he starts believing the identities that the world has placed on him, he finds himself down here in the valleys. David never gave up because he knew who his creator was. Now, please hear what I'm not saying because I sat where you are currently sitting thinking a lot of times that the idea of Christianity is this beautiful, uh, get out of hell free card. That if I'm a Christian, that my life is just easy peasy. That couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, some could make the arguments that your life is going to be harder and more frustrating than it was if you weren't a follower of Jesus. But when you face those trials, when you face those low points, when you face those valleys, that your hope is found 
and a creator who will not cheaply sell you, who will not discount you below what your value is worth and will never, ever, ever sell you out. It is the hope that is found in the creator of the universe. But he takes it a step further. Because in the New Testament, this character named Jesus shows up in the New Testament. Jesus is God's son, sent to the earth as the the big Bible word is propitiation. It means payment for penalty. God sends his one and only son to the earth as a payment for sin. Your sin, my sin, the entire world's sin. Once and for all, Jesus' death on the cross pays the penalty of sin. But three days later, he rises, he he ascends, and he sits back at the right hand of his father, back in heaven. Death could not hold him. Death had no victory over him. Listen, here's the deal. I am this close, this close to being a dad. And I'll tell you right now, I love and care for each and every single one of you. For some of you, you don't get that. For some of you, it freaks you out. Sorry, I'm not sorry. But I'll tell you right now, for as much as I care about each one of you and for as much as I love each one of you, I would not trade my daughter's life for any person in this room. Would not do it. My heart skipped a beat the first time I heard her heartbeat and my heart freaked out and paused last week when they sent us over to labor and delivery because her heart was racing and was too fast. I'm not a dad yet. I haven't held my daughter. I want more than anything to hold my daughter. But I would not give up the life of my only child at this point for any one of you. Sorry. I love you. Care about you. Not trading that life for life. My wife and I walked out of a doctor's appointment two hours ago. More than anything in the world, we want to hold our daughter more than anything in the world. I honestly could not tell you there's one thing more that I want than that right now. But she's being stubborn. She ain't coming. God knows that time and I don't. And I realized today that my identity has already been caught up in being a father. What does it mean to be a dad? What does it mean to be a protector? What does it mean to shepherd my family? What does it mean that my identity is or is not found in my family. I don't want to be a Jesse to my daughter or my wife or you all. I don't want to be someone that you guys look up to because you think my life is altogether imperfect. I want to be someone that you can call and cry to. I want to be a friend when your life is falling apart. I want to be someone that we can go grab coffee and you can just share what God is doing in your life but I do not want to be a person that you put on a pedestal that is like, I want to be like that because his life is awesomely perfect because it's not. But I know this much when my identity, when who Jaron is, is less about what I say and what you say and what the world says and more about what my creator says and deems then I'm going to continue to find myself in valley after valley after valley. Because my identity 
is not coming from the creator who knows the value of me. You are not an ugly duckling. Okay, let me make that very clear. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. The things that have happened to you are not an accident. They are not a mistake. And for some of you, you don't wanna hear that because that actually makes things harder. I wish that I could sit down with each of you individually and explain the formula for why God does what he does and why he doesn't do what he doesn't. But I can't. I can't even do it for myself. But I do know this much. When my identity is wrapped up in what you all say about me, what the leaders say about me, what the staff says about me, what the people in the community say about me, then when I hit those valleys, they are long and they are hard and they are rough. When I find myself clinging to the hope, when I find myself clinging to the identity that God created Jerron with a purpose, with a plan in mind, that doesn't make my life easier. But it gives me hope that whatever hell I'm walking through right now is going to end, has a purpose, that there is some explainable reason why I'm walking through what I'm walking through. And if it's not for my sake, it's for someone else, maybe in this room, maybe in your friend group, maybe at your school. You're gonna have that opportunity tonight in your tribe groups to figure out what labels that you've placed on yourself, what labels that others have placed on you that you've spent so long looking at that you've just defined yourself by those labels. because those labels will never touch the label that God has placed on you. Those labels will never touch the value that God has given you. And for some of you, that's gonna be a hard conversation. I'll unapologetically say it again. It's the reason we give you so much time to spend in tribe groups. Because when all hell is breaking loose in your life, that group of people surrounding you, they are your people. They are your family. They are the people to build you up. They are the people to pray over you. They are the people to support you. They are the people to listen as you cry and angrily ask and question why the heck God is doing whatever he's doing. And sometimes all we need is a group of people to let us cry in front of and to not offer opinions and to not offer advice and just to sit together in the presence of God and just be still because we don't know how to be still because we're so busy trying to figure out what our identity is, that we're moving from group to group, person to person, social media platform to social media platform, trying to figure out how much value that we have. And I bet you if I took a temperature of this room, that the value that we have is hovering somewhere around zero. And that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that that's the reality of the world that we live in. So you're gonna have time tonight in tribe group to talk about that. And I want you to talk about that.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Alive Youth Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. If there's someone in your life who needs today's message, be sure to share it with them. If you're in 6th through 12th grade and you live in or around Osage Beach, Missouri, we invite you to join us Wednesday nights, 6 to 8 p.m. at the church at Osage Hills. Don't forget to connect with us on our website, aliveyouth.church, on Instagram at HeyAliveYouth, and on Facebook, Alive Youth.